For the eagle-eyed among you this morning, keep an eye at this little trick in today's reading. So please pay attention. You might pick it up a little aside as we work through the first uh, few chapters, the first 15 verses, sorry, of John chapter 5. We're looking at John's gospel at the first 15 verses. Have you got it open in front of you? Uh, the very keen eagle-eyed, we will notice a bit of an irregularity in this passage here. It's John Chapter 5, verses 1 through to 15. Uh, John writes this. He says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there, who had been an invalid for 38 years, had been there. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, what do you, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and to walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, but Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Friends, let's pray. God of grace, we pray that you might speak to us now. Speak to us through your word. May it come alive for us. May the written word uh, be for us your, your living word. Jesus the Christ taking root in our hearts. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen and Amen. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Hands up if you've seen the movie Dead Poets Society. Marvellous movie. If you haven't, do yourself a favour. Check it out starring the delightful Robin Williams. There's a marvellous scene in that movie in which he plays a teacher at a, at a posh sort of private boys' school. And he takes them down a, a long corridor. You know those corridors of schools where they have the photos from years past? And he takes them back to some old grainy black and white photos of, of young boys their age but many generations ago. Uh, these boys are no longer with us. They had grown old and have gone to glory, but their pictures are still up on the walls. And he gets his class of boys to lean in close to the wall. And, he, and, and Robin Williams whispers to the boys in this sort of this sta stage whisper, Carpe diem, seize the day, boys. Seize the day. Make your lives extraordinary. 
It was Robin Williams' character's way of telling the boys to not waste their life. It was Robin Williams' character's way of saying, don't, don't wait to live, boys. Get on with the job of, of living. Carpe diem. Make today count. Seize the day. I, I think when I'm honest with myself, and I think if you're honest with yourself too, we have all fallen victim to this notion that I'm going to start living tomorrow. I, I, I'm going to get on with the job of living my life when this happens or that happens. Is that, have you sometimes fallen into that trap? I certainly know I, I have. As a young bloke, perhaps, you might think, well, look, when I finish school, then I'll be a grown-up and able to truly live. Or, or when I finish uni, then I'm going to be able to get a job and have money and then I can get on with my life. Or, or when I find a wife or when I find a, a, a husband, then I can start a family and then I can get on with my life. Or when I get that job that I really want, then I can get on with truly living. Or, or when I retire, then I can get on with living the life that I really want to live. But it's a... It's a stunted way of living. It's a stunted way of existing, of, of going through life, thinking that I, I really am not in a position to, to live right now. I just have to just wait and put up with it and simply make do. Making do is what this man has been doing for 38 long years. He's been, he is, he's lame, he is, he's a, a cripple. And he's been waiting by this pool uh, for, for 38 years for, for healing. A uh, little bit of an aside. You might have picked it up on the way through in our text this morning before we dive in. Uh, verse 4 is missing. Any of you picked that up? It goes from verse 3 st- straight through to verse 5. Uh, and that is because it isn't actually there in the original Greek manuscripts. In all of our modern English translations, verse 4 is missing but it is there in the old authorised King James Version. Now, the reason for this is this is what we call a sort of a, a textual deviance. There is a... I want you guys to know that there are many thousands of, of pieces of Scripture and the scholars are very, very good at coming to very, very accurate modern English translations. They compare and contrast the different ancient manuscripts and they're pretty good at being able to tell which ones are the oldest, which ones are the most accurate. And the oldest and most accurate manuscripts don't have uh, this verse 4 that appears in the King James Version that clearly some scribe has added as a bit of an explanation as to what is, is about to occur, what is about to happen. He's explaining for us the context that this, this pool, which was by one of the many gates in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a walled city with many gates along it, and there was a, a pool of Bethesda that was, was known for its, its healing properties, It was known to have healing waters, much like today. People would gather to take in the waters to soothe themselves, to to seek healing for what ails them in this pool that was said to have uh, miraculous healing properties. The story went that there was an angel that sort of inhabited the waters. And when the angel stirred up the waters, the waters of this, it was actually a man-made pool, but must have been fed by some sort of a spring. And occasionally the waters would get stirred up. And the story went that an angel would stir up the waters and the first person into the water at that point would be healed. So this man has been here for many, many years trying to be the first one into the waters to receive this miraculous healing. But of course, due to his condition, 
he's not able to get there. So he seems to be just stuck. He's stuck waiting uh, for, for healing, waiting uh, to live. And along comes Jesus. Now what I want you to note here is that Jesus comes along and visits this pool. He's in Jerusalem, but there doesn't seem to be any reason for him to visit this pool. It doesn't tell us that he was there for an appointment with a Pharisee. Where Jesus turns up, it seems as though he's seeking this man out, or at least seeking those in need out. Jesus seeks out those who have a need. He seeks out this man, and we also read that he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long period. And I find that tremendously comforting, tremendously encouraging. Jesus takes the time to find out about this guy. He makes the time to visit this pool in the same way that he makes time to visit prophet dishonouring Galilee or to visit Samaria to see a, a woman by the well that needs his word. Jesus seeks out those who are hurting, those who are in need of healing, those the world might otherwise overlook. And he knows. He knows what you're going through. Jesus takes the time to find out. I find this tremendously comforting. Jesus knows. He seeks us out. He knows what it is that you're going through. I must say I also find it tremendously challenging and discomforting because it means, well, how am I going to go and do likewise? Do I seek out those people who the world might otherwise overlook? Do I actually seek people's well-being and healing? Do I try to find those people rather than those people that are just going to make me comfortable or make me feel good about myself, my mates that I'm comfortable around who, who know me and whom I can really be around myself? Am I actually going out of my, my way, pulling myself out of those situations from time to time and, and seeking those who need the healing touch of God? Uh, Julie and I were able to do that just uh, this, this week by, by God's grace. We, it was a bit of an inconvenience this week. We're in a spot here where we get some people who have some needs. And I was racing off to Scripture, and a really inconvenient bit of timing. Someone knocked on the door that was in a great amount of, of, of need, and and thanks be to God, Julie ran around and we were able to help this guy with some new clothes and, 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 and a shower. It was an inconvenience for me at the time, one that I didn't really want to have to deal with. I had other things to do, people to see, but at the end of it, we were able to help a fellow out that obviously needed a bit of help. And, and you know what? I, unbeknownst to me, it got noticed by people. I'm not sure if you noticed, but there was a few people been out in the mall this past week or so. And uh, they had noticed this guy and noticed that the church took him in and, and helped him out. Just one small little way that we as a church family were able to do that. But I reckon there's plenty more opportunities. There's plenty more people out there that are going to need that. How are we as a church going to be like Jesus and help the people that the world might overlook? people who need healing, people who need, who need a bit of, of wholeness. Because of sin, because we're selfish, because I like my own comfort. Like I said, I just want to do my own thing. I had my own agenda. I've got my little calendar. I've got my diary. 
but I'm very glad that God in his grace took me out of my comfort zone to deal with a guy that didn't make me feel particularly comfortable being around it. So let me, I'll catch up with you afterwards, Fiona, but my point is I think we do need to challenge ourselves and, and take ourselves out of our comfort zone as follow, if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, not just a holy huddle here on a Sunday with our nice comfortable chair. I love our comfortable chairs and I love being around our friends, but we need to get a little bit uncomfortable from time to time. Amen? Now, I also want you um, to know that this guy didn't deserve any healing. This guy didn't deserve, he didn't do anything to deserve this, right? He wasn't holy. He didn't ask for this healing. He never even thanks Jesus. He takes up, Jesus has to seek him out as a bit of a postscript to this story. This guy is not holy. He's not deserving of this healing. This is all grace from Jesus Christ. And isn't that good news? It's all grace. He did nothing to deserve this. Jesus just reaches out, seeks him out, finds out about him, heals him, touches him, makes him whole, makes him, makes him well. He asks this very profound question, do you want to get well? When I looked up this passage in my old Bible, I got given an old NIV study Bible when I was a teenager, and I saw that I'd written in the, the, the margin of my old Bible, I'd written uh, the words, he wasn't even able to answer Jesus, and I'd written equals bondage. He wasn't even able to answer Jesus' simple question, do you want to get well? Yes, please, Jesus. Instead, he came up with all manner of excuses. Oh, well, I can't, you know, like, people beat me down. I can't get out. He comes up with all sorts of excuses. As someone that's been doing this pastoring thing for a little while, and I reckon anyone in the healing professions, counselling professions could tell you as well, you know, sometimes we like to cling to the things that weigh us down because the thought of living without them is kind of terrifying at times. Sometimes we cling to the things that give us an excuse to say, well, this is why I haven't been all that I can be. This is the reason why I'm not living the life that God has called me to be because I'm dealing with this. It's that person's fault. It's society's fault. It's beyond my control. So I'm just going to sit here in, in, in my misery and, and be a, a, a martyr. Martyrs can be very difficult people sometimes to, to live with. And I think sometimes we all at times make excuses for ourselves. We all have difficult things to be going through and to dealing with some people more than, than others. And this bloke seems to be in bondage in that he can't even give Jesus a straight answer when he asks him a simple question like, do you want to get well? Is there some way in which you are clinging on, holding on to something that Really, you're just more comfortable living with than handing over to God and being liberated from. Something that gives you an excuse, an ability to say, well, I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to change or, or grow in some way. I want you to think too, Jesus, of course, had more reason to whinge and to moan and to complain about the way the world treated him than anyone. Jesus never complained. He never thought of just sitting in wallowing in self-pity or being uh, having a martyr mentality when... They did things to him like, well, I don't know, being betrayed by his closest mates, being betrayed to death, being tortured and, and put up on a cross to die. Friends, this is actually a resurrection story when you think about it. Although this is not a story that specifically Jesus is teaching his disciples to prepare for when he's gone, when you think about it, this is a resurrection story. Jesus is 
pointing us to being able to take hold of resurrection life, life to the full. He's showing, and he's, when he's on the cross, he shows us there is nothing that this world can dish up that you can't be resurrected from and lay claim to life with both hands. He absorbed the worst of the world. He took it all and he went through it all for you in order that you might truly live. It doesn't mean that he's going to take all of your physical ailments away. It doesn't mean that all of your problems are going to go away. In fact, if you'd make this decision to follow Jesus, you may even, may even raise one or two more issues, one or two more problems for you to deal with in this modern world. But the call from Jesus this morning as we finish up is clear. Pick up your mat and walk. We're told that instantly, in that moment, there's an immediacy there in the text. Uh, he gets up and he picks up his mat and he walks. 38 years gone and done. Such is the sovereignty of Jesus. Such is his healing word. A bit of a postscript for you as well as we think of how this story ends. Jesus again seeks this guy out in verse 14, I think, in verse 14. He finds him in the temple. He seeks this man out again and he says, stop sinning. You've been made well, now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. This guy's been a, a, a crippled man for 38 years. What could possibly be worse? I think Jesus is referring here to the fact that it is something worse than even being bodily unwell and that is being spiritually unwell, spiritually lame not being in relationship with him, spending an eternity without him. That is what Jesus is trying to warn this man about. There is something more important in this life than being physically well. I know many of you are familiar with Joni Erickson Tata. I've raised her before. We actually had a look at her story at our Together on Thursdays group, Jackie and Paul, where are you? And yet we talked about Joni Erickson Tata. She's a, an American lady who is a, a quadriplegic. And she said this most amazing line that we picked up on Thursday afternoon a couple of weeks ago. She said, I wouldn't trade my wheelchair for anything. As an able-bodied person, I just found that amazing that she would say that because she realises that she actually has something far more important than she's living for, than even being bodily well, than being bodily mobile. I just found that to be an incredible statement of faith. So can I challenge you, as Hannah comes up and, and plays for us, I'm going to give you a moment to simply reflect. You might want to reflect on my challenge from last week's message about how are you going to reach out to three people in this past week, uh, reach out and seek their healing and wholeness and well-being. I spent some time with Sean this week and encouraged we need to spend a bit of time just reflecting and asking, challenging ourselves, well, what do I need to let go of? Am I waiting by the waters of the pool, waiting for something other than Jesus' hand? Am I looking to some, some bit of water to provide healing? The waters that provide healing are the waters of baptism as Jesus takes you by the hand and brings you, raises you up to new life in him. Can I encourage you this week to be looking to Jesus as the source of your true wellness, the source of your hope, the source of being fit and well, the ability to live the resurrection life 
abundant life, life to the full, despite all the physical ailments and despite all that the world may throw at you? Are you able to say, yes, I've taken Jesus' hand. I'm picking up my mat and walking into the future with Jesus as my Lord and Saviour.